0: Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you're aware of more free audio content coming from Canon Press. This podcast is one of our favorites, and it's called "The All of Christ for All of Life Podcast. This podcast is an audio highlight reel, fiery debates, life-changing seminars practical workshops, and the best of conferences, sermons, and audiobooks. At Canon Press, we are gospel outfitters. No matter who you are or what you do, you're called to be increasing in faithfulness. That's because Jesus' death and resurrection changed absolutely everything. All of Christ, for all of life, for all the world. On this podcast, you can find talks from Nancy Wilson about the duties of grandmothers. You can find talks from Indy Wilson about being a troublemaker. A discussion on American theologian Jonathan Edwards. You can hear previews of our audiobooks like Future Men. Find all of this and more wherever you get your podcasts. The All of Christ for All of Life podcast. Cheers.
1: welcome to the podcast this is episode 150 150 so I want to talk uh, for our current events portion if you want to call it that I want to talk about masks and the limits of edicts masks and the limits of edicts so I understand that the governor of Pennsylvania and the governor of Texas have uh, determined that masks are mandatory if you're going if you're going to go outside here in Moscow our mayor has uh, there's there are two cities in Idaho that have done this. Our mayor has de- determined that we need to wear masks anytime that we're outside or, uh, or within uh, six feet of somebody else. So I can go outside without a mask, but if I'm in a situation where any public space where, I might, where I'm within uh, six feet of someone else, then I've got to put a mask on. This is an edict that I am disregarding, and I wanted to talk a little bit about. The thinking behind that—it's not just a—it's not a scofflaw stance. It's not a um, giving a raspberry to legitimate civil authority. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit about the limits of edicts. So masks and the limits of edicts. And I'm going to start with a um, a ludicrous example, and I want to use this ludicrous example in order to illustrate the principle, in order to highlight the principle. And once I've highlighted the principle, we can then apply it to the question of masks. So suppose the president said that next Saturday was National (laughs) Propeller Hat Day and that everybody in the country had to, if they went outside, had to wear a little propeller hat. Now, the issue is not whether a propeller hat is cute or fetching. Or a fashion statement, or not. The fundamental question is whether or not the president has the authority to just pull something out of the clear blue sky like that and mandate that everybody do it. Does the president have the right to um, say, Thou shalt wear a propeller hat? And if you refuse to put a propeller hat on, are you, dis- as a Christian, as an evangelical Christian who believes the Bible to be the Word of God, uh, are you in violation of Romans 13 that says to obey the existing authorities? Are you in violation of 1 Peter 2, which says much much the same thing? And I don't think you are, because you are not living in under the um, reign of Kublai Khan. You are not living in an oriental despotism you are living in a constitutional republic and when whether it's a supreme court decision or it's a an executive decision or it's a bill that the legislature pass, passes they have to take whatever action they take within their assigned sphere of authority because in a constitutional republic the highest authority a court, uh, the highest authority uh, that is being referred to by Romans 13 is the Constitution. That's the established authority. So, when a president or a mayor or a governor issues a decree, they have to say something like, by the authority that's vested in me, that has been assigned to me according to Idaho code, thus and such, I hereby decree the following. Okay? They can't just make up something and say that you know tomorrow is blue shirt day, or tomorrow is buy something at Walmart day, or everybody has to text this number saying yes, no, or maybe to the uh, the invitation to the national hot dog festival, whatever it is. A president, a mayor, a governor does not have absolute authority, and if he hauls off and tells you to do something that is not within his purview it is not disobedience and let me under, underscore this it is not disobedience to disregard an unconstitutional unlawful order moreover it is disobedience to romans 13 to obey an unconstitutional unlawful order so if the president said i want all conscientious citizens to wear a propeller hats I want all conscientious citizens uh, law abiding citizens who believe in Romans thirteen to wear a blue shirt on the on this uh, specified day to wear a blue shirt. I'm not talking about the the occasional fellow who never gets the word about anything who doesn't watch the news and and who wears one accidentally, but to obey uh, obey that decree and and wear a shirt is itself disobedience you are. Giving authority to someone who doesn't have that authority according to the highest authority in the land. Let me say that again. You're granting authority, you're ceding authority to someone who doesn't actually have that authority according to the highest authority in the land. So bring this down to masks. If we had a legal system that was based on biblical law, we find that the civil magistrate has the authority. Has the authority in biblical law to quarantine if there's an infectious disease, and uh, let's say uh, in in the law, if your house ha- has mildew in it, uh, the priest would come and inspect it, and you'd clean it out. And if it continues to be infected, at some point they tear your house down. At some point they say we have to get this out of the camp. Uh, if someone comes down with leprosy, they can be exiled. From the camp. So the person who is contagious, the person who is the bearer of a contagious disease can be isolated and can be quarantined. Moreover, they can be isolated and quarantined against their will. They don't have to vote for it. They've got the disease. The society has the right to p- protect itself by isolating the contagious diseased person. And so consequently, I have no objection to the fact that the Idaho Code grants the governor the um, right in a true state of emergency to isolate. Let's say a small town uh, in Idaho has, um, comes down with bubonic plague, and there's, it's a population 100, and 25% of the population of that town comes down with, the, with bubonic plague. I have no objection whatever to uh, that town being sealed off. I think the governor has the biblical right, the legal right, and the moral right to isolate that town to keep bubonic plague from spreading to other cities. That's straightforward. But in biblical law and in the Idaho Code, following biblical law, when the authority to quarantine is issued, it is the quarantining of the diseased, the quarantining of the sick. So, a mayor or a governor or a civil authority has the right and the obligation to cordon off an area where contagious persons are located to keep it from spreading. That is their right. But it is not a quarantine to quarantine the entire population. It's not not biblical quarantine to say that everybody must stay in lockdown or, um, and this is where the masks come in, everybody must carry their own personal quarantine equipment around with them, i.e. a mask. In other words, they're they're requiring healthy persons, non-contagious persons, and everybody is involved to act as though they were, in fact, contagious. They They are quarantining the entire population. And I think we should simply say, no, this is an unlawful order. This is not an appropriate order. It's not legal. It's not constitutional. It's not biblical. And on top of everything else, it is almost certainly counterproductive. If you have a a N95 hospital mask, that is something that uh, could quite possibly do some good in stopping the spread of the virus. But all these homemade masks and and, uh, reused handkerchiefs and all these things are doing nothing but I, I call them servility badges. All they are doing is signaling to the world that you are willing to do whatever you're told. And, if you are not careful, the propeller hat is next.
0: Oh, we be God, God.
1: So, we come to the Hamartiology section of podcast episode 150. Our word this time around is aphistomy. Aphistomy. This is a word that does not refer to an action that is inherently sinful it means to depart withdraw or fall away and of course because the virtue or vice in such words depends on the direct object we find a good illustration of that principle or that reality here it matters for example whether you are departing from sin or from the faith departing from the devil and his ways is good and departing from god and his ways is bad so here are a couple of illustrations of the of the latter usage first perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw yourself. That's 1 Timothy 6.5. So you've got these corrupt men out there. They're destitute of the truth. They think that godliness is a ladder to climb up to monetary wealth. Paul tells Timothy, from such, withdraw yourself. Withdrawing from men who have corrupt minds is what might be called a net gain. Here's another one. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's 2 Timothy 2.19. Not only is it permissible to depart from iniquity, it is a requirement. Everyone who names the name of Christ needs to do it. It's mandatory. Uh, all professing Christians must depart from iniquity. The sinful aspects of this kind of departure can be seen in two places. Remember, it's always a matter of what you're leaving. Uh, Hebrews 3.12 Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. An evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So, departing from the living God is self-evidently sinful, and we see here that it evidences an evil heart of unbelief. So, we need to be careful to avoid it. We need to take heed, it says. Take heed, brethren. Uh, watch out. Guard yourself. And for our final example, we are told in the last days that some shall depart from the faith. So, First Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, there it is, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Not good. So, uh, departing from the faith is not good. Withdrawing or backing away from the truth, not good. Falling away from the truth, not good. God, God don't never the book this time around, the book that I'd like to recommend, is uh, called The Law by Bastiat. B-A-S-T-I-A-T, Bastiat. This It's just a marvelous book. I read it uh, once. It must have been... Three or four decades ago uh, i I read it I read it a long time ago, and then just recently uh, listened to it again, listened through it again, and was uh, edified once again. Bastiat argues basically, and I think it's very compelling. Bastiat argues that the purpose of civil government is uh, self- defense so he, he he argues that each person has Um, under God, the absolute right to defend his own person, to defend his own liberty, and to defend his own property. Each person has that right. And Bastiat argues that legitimate civil government is what results when people band together to make that self-defense a collective endeavor. So instead of it's being, I am going to defend my life, I am going to defend my liberty, I am going to defend my property. Why don't I get together with the people who are closest to me, and we can say, we are going to defend our lives, we are going to defend our liberty, and we are going to defend our property. So, that's basically where Bastiat starts. And so, the individual has the right to do this, and so the civil government has the right to protect your person, your liberty, and your property. As long as the government is sticking to that, as long as the government is limiting its endeavors to that pursuit, then everything is clear. Everybody has clarity. Uh, The citizens know that the government is there to protect their their persons, their liberty, and their property. And the government knows that that's what they're there for. Now, here's the difficulty. And this is something... Uh, I thought of when, uh, when listening to Bastiat. I think this, this is implicit in his thought, but it's an application, uh, an application that I would make. And that is, many conservatives like to applaud limited government. But we should ask, what is the principle of the limitation? What, what is it that, is, that defines the nature of the limits that we would put on our limited government? And it struck me that this this wonderful succinct definition of justice that Bastiat supplies is is just the ticket. If if you there's two there are two views of uh, justice. There is the biblical view of justice, and you might say the commie view of justice or the socialist view of justice. One view of justice is justice is served when one when one man respects his neighbor's property or respects his neighbor's livelihood or respect his neighbor's life. He, he doesn't violate the Tenth Commandment. He doesn't violate the other commandments. He doesn't murder, doesn't cheat with the guy's wife. He doesn't steal things from him. He respects the boundaries that separate him from his neighbor. Okay. Now, it doesn't cost one dime to do that for me to stay away from my neighbor's lawnmower for me to stay away from his car for me to stay away from his wife that that does not cost anything there's no vast bureaucracy that's necessary i don't need a file cabinet to keep track of it i just have to stick to my own knitting i just have to mind my own business now that view of justice is defined and the edges of it are sharp and so consequently if a government exists to help maintain that, and that's the only role the government has, then that's the limit. That's the boundary of your limited government. But if you have another view of justice where someone says, well, I think it's unjust, I think it's unfair that that person is richer than I am, or that person's better looking than I am, or that person got better grades than I am, or that person went to a better college than I did, uh, and so on. I call this the free chocolate milk for everybody view of justice. So you'll hear this in the slogans of the left. uh, Minimum wage. We, We want to guarantee a living wage to everybody. We want fair and affordable housing. We want affordable housing for all. Now think about this. Going to the first conservative view of rights, if Jones has a right to not be murdered, then Smith has the obligation, the corresponding obligation, to not murder him. But this costs Smith nothing. Smith does have an obligation to not murder Jones, but all Smith has to do is be a a civilized human being to not murder Jones. But But if Jones has the right to an affordable house, a house that he can afford, then that means that somebody else has the obligation to provide him with that house. If, he, if, if Jones can't afford the house, then we have to have someone come up behind Smith with a gun saying, you need to chip in, you need to toss some money into the hat. I'm taking up a collection and when we get enough money, we're going to give Jones his affordable house. So what's the limit to that? Well, the limit is the avarice and greed and envy of man, which is another way of saying there is no limit.